Hello and welcome to the Write for Your Life podcast, a show about creative writing, copywriting, reading and the ever-changing publishing industry. Bandwidth for January has been provided by Cashfly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. Cashfly delivers all of our content here at 5x5 and they really are superb. Check them out at cashfly.com, that's C-A-C-H-E-Fly, and let them know you heard all about them on 5x5. I'm Ian Room. And I'm Donna Sorensen. And today we are going to be covering numerous subjects. Feels like there's a lot of things going on in the writing slash publishing world. Yes, which is nice because I guess this is not the, the most productive time of the year in the publishing industry. I'm just guessing. Don't know. Don't know where I get. No, usually it's around Frankfurt Book Festival, book with Frankfurt Book Fair in kind of Octoberish, and then there's a London Book Fair. I'm talking UK-based stuff here, I suppose, or European-based book-related jiggling. Um, yeah, I don't know if January is a big month or not. Oh. Um, but I seems to be on the internet. Yes, yes. So there's lots of uh, interesting stuff to talk about. We were going to follow up this week on Mark Zuckerberg's book club. Um, now that they're into the second book recommendation of 2015, and um, apparently they've uh, poor old Facebook struggled to get anybody really to engage in their author question and answer, which was hilarious. I found. Why did you find it hilarious? It's just that Facebook were uh, were not able to, uh, to to engage their community. I see. That is quite funny. It is. Um, Apparently about 200 people um, asked questions or took part when um, the first book recommendation, the author, who was... Can you remember his name? uh, Is it Bob? Bob, that's it, uh, was invited to to drop onto the actual Facebook book. What's it called again? It's called Book 2015 in books or something of that nature. You see, I mean, look, it's so unimportant to everybody now that I've even forgotten what it's called. Um, anyway. It should, de- should definitely have been called Zook's Books. Zook's Books. That's amazing. Well, I think maybe that's, that's what they needed to do, make it a bit more personable. Um, and, yes, yeah, so they, they, they had the poor old author who is called Moise's Name. I'm not even sure if that's how you pronounce his name. Um, he, uh, he, he, he just goes for Bob. Bob would... <laughs> Uh, and apparently there were 137 questions um, that were posted and 240 comments during that session. Now, that's quite amazing. Now, um, doing this myself, being a kind of community manager on Facebook, that would be pretty disappointing for us. For Facebook, I mean, how many... How many people can they like? I mean, they could presumably get everybody on Facebook to see um, that this is happening if they wanted to. It's true. I think he perhaps made a mistake. It's not a mistake. He can pick whatever book he wants. But the book he chose was perhaps a little more difficult than um, uh, than one might expect from a a kind of uh, what you well, let's say a potentially mainstream book club. Um, so maybe if you'd have chosen something that was already popular, like I don't know, Gone Girl was uh, has been very popular, and you know even even an older book 
that was, you know, still quite popular. I don't know. You know what I'm saying. If it was something that was perhaps a bit more accessible or that people already knew, maybe that would have guaranteed the success. But at the same time, maybe he took for granted that people would come anyway and uh, and that it didn't matter what the book was. That's not to say that it's a bad book. I'm sure it's great, but... Um, that might um, not be the only, the only thing. I mean... It could also be the format of this and the way that it's happening, you know, and that people do want something a bit more personal. Well, I definitely looked at the book because I, I hadn't looked at the page when we spoke about it, which is probably not the greatest way to research something. <laughs> but um, I did go and look at it afterwards and I was struck by how boring it looked. Yeah. It was just there was no there was no effort put into it. I, I assumed that it was like an all singing, all dancing. Hey, look at this new book club! But it really did look like some sort of angsty teenager just started their own book club and uh, you know and, and said, "Oh, I'm going to be talking about this once a fortnight," and um, you know, join in if you like. You know, there was no kind of there was no there was no kind of um, what's the phrase officialness. I'm, I'm I'm tempted to say, but that's not what I mean. But there was no kind of there was no branding for the book club. There was no there was mm. no kind of uh, engaging tone of voice. There wasn't much of a call to action, as far as I remember. It was it was just you know read a book. You know, it was not like you know tell me what you think or or leave leave a comment below. Or there's none. There was no kind of obvious way for people to engage there's nothing very clear for them to hang on to and say Ooh, I like the sound of this I'm going to be in Zook's books yeah. <laughs> it does sound a little bit like you know the big boss has just had this idea oh let's do this and everybody in the office is like put their head down and gone oh no it's like who wants to who wants to sit and answer the questions and or who wants to help me set this page up and everyone's like oh sorry Mark we're busy and then someone's been roped into it and it's kind of like just his own personal project, which I guess, you know, is quite, it's quite endearing, isn't it? I mean, it's quite nice that it's, that it's not, you know, all bells and whistles branded, you know, competing in the same way that everybody competes using Facebook for getting, you know, in people's streams. Maybe we should see it as refreshing because it's more real. Yeah, and, and I don't want people to think that I think it would have been a particularly good idea in in general terms to have chosen a, a more established or popular book i think it's great that he chose something that's um that people perhaps wouldn't necessarily have uh have read or have, have thought to read mm. um but it's it was the numbers were particularly bad and i guess for the you know for the industry that really doesn't matter because <laughs> as long as the sales are not ter- terribly bad and i'm sure they'll drop off it won't be this this the second book that's been recommended presumably won't sell as quite as many as the first book, but still it's it's a massive boost. Absolutely, I mean it's still better to be in there than not, and it's just the first one, you know. There's a whole whole year of this to go if he keeps it up. <laughs> Let's see if then the third one is uh, is Gone Girl. Um, I read something quite interesting about it that said that somebody said you can't you can't know somebody's taste in books until they've recommended three books. Because you don't know what it is about the first book that, that they've they've gone for, you know, if it's the subject or the way it's written or the period or whatever. So um, we we just have to wait for the third book then, and we'll see. Oh, okay. So we kind of get the gist of what the rest of the year is going to be like. Yes. Now, you last week something was said, and as a result, you made me feel quite guilty about the death of Patrick Swayze. Oh yeah. We were talking about um, sexy pottery because it was a really sexy podcast last week. Not quite mm. as sexy this week, I don't think. I'm not. I'm not anticipating it will be anyway. 
Well, you never know, do you? You can't rule anything out. <laughs> Um, yes, this is a completely random link to Patrick Swayze, but I just wanted to share that um, when I was home this Christmas, you know, I mean, I'm I'm relatively old now. My parents have been trying to get my rubbish out of their house for a long, long time. They keep mentioning boxes every time I'm back. Oh, I've just found this other box. Why didn't you have a look through that? Um, so this time I literally had 10 minutes and I looked through a box of stuff at my parents' house and... And I found what I would call an absolute gem in it, which is amazing. And it's just one little page in a notebook that I wrote when I was 13 years old about my favourite things and my least favourite things. Can I have a guess at some of them? You absolutely can. You absolutely can. Because I myself was very surprised. I mean, I, I, I knew myself at 13. I was there on the ground, as it were. And I'm talking at the moment about actually seriously trying to write books for this age group and I have this this idea which I really want to push forward and when I realized what I was reading at that age I was quite surprised because it's not what I imagined I would have been reading when I was 13 years old and I wonder whether we like whether we have a good enough memory of ourselves as children to be able to to kind of draw from that you know can you guess what my... I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I've got seven favourite films that I've listed when I was 13 years old. Could you guess even one of them, I wonder? Well, let's see if I'm, I'm better at this than I was at guessing um, attractive creative pursuits <laughs> um, last week. Um, so, list of things that, that you loved, was that right? Yeah, and there were seven films on there that were my absolute favourite films. And I do remember that these were my favourite films, for sure. But I'm How a 13-year-old girl, remember? How many items were there on the entire list if you included seven films? I mean, you know, it's a notebook page. I've got quite a few things. Don't worry, I'm not going to test you on all of them. Okay, um, 13 years old, so 1992 or 93? 93, yep. 93, films that you would have liked. Now, I, we, at this point, we still don't know whether Patrick Swayze was in the hate column or the love column. But as you've attached a film to this kind of quiz, um, let's say Dirty Dancing is one of them. <clears throat> right, so Sway- not. Swayze was in the hate column. Poor old Patrick Swayze was actually named in my least favourite section, along with Luke Perry, um, Flares, Trousers That Are Flares, and Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> <laughs> like, I didn't name any other actors. Patrick Swayze really got my goat. Were they? I can't quite remember 1993 that well, but were they all in the same boy-slash-girl band? <laughs> quite possibly. They were also a lot of boy bands and girl bands were on my least favourite list. No, I was, not, I was not a dirty dancing girl. I was, and um, let me just, I'm going to tell you them now, I'm going to tell you these films. Yeah, I, I don't know if I could guess, because I was going to say something like the, uh, the Goonies, but that would have been the 80s, and I think you wouldn't have... Hey, this is exactly it. my point. Goonies. I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to write a caper story for 13-year-olds. Something like The Goonies. I probably watched The Goonies when I was six. Yeah, I mean, 13-year-olds today, they're more into the, uh, I don't know, pornography and hard smack. Absolutely. Well, 13-year-olds in 1993 went to Aliens, Alien 3, Terminator, Terminator 2, Blade Runner, Total Recall and The Abyss. Yes, I was not going to guess any of those. No, I didn't think so. So there you go. I mean, I, I've just suddenly had to rethink my, the entire way that I'm approaching writing for this age group now because I've realised, hang on a second. Like, when I think 13-year-olds, I'm really thinking 11-year-olds in my head. 
Like, I'm, I'm way out. I'm way off. Maybe even younger. Maybe even younger. In terms of books, this is what I wanted to share. Like, I think it's really, really interesting to know that at 13 years of age, I was massively into inspiring char- like people in real life. I was obsessed with Diane Fossey, who went to the Virunga Mountains in Africa to, uh, to try to... Uh, research mountain gorillas at that time there were like only a few hundred left in the world there still only are a few hundred left in the world I was reading books by her books about her um you know like serious biographies about inspirational people when I was 13 is that the woman who inspired uh, gorillas in the mist yes yes that is the 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 story of her life yeah now gorillas in the mist um is one of those Films, or it's one of those moments in my younger life where I remember and presume I've never done, I don't even know if I've ever watched it all the way through, but I kind of know what happens now. And I know that it's rather sad at the end, but it's one of those moments where um, stuff was happening to the gorillas and there was a sense of something bad was going to happen. I, I, I think this is my memory of it. And, um, and uh, as, I, as I recall, I'm sure it wasn't probably quite this way, but. I was sort of ushered out of the room by my parents or it was turned over. Mm. It was very clear that I wasn't supposed to be watching this film at this point, that the nice gorillas um, were... Well, they had their backs against the wall. Mm. And um, and there's a really clear memory, like gorillas in the mist to me. Someone says that and I'm thinking, well, I'm not allowed to watch that. <laughs> Quite well. I apparently was very much allowed to watch it, but I was also reading about it. It was it was absolutely awful what happened to that, to Diane Fossey. Um, and interesting, very very interesting to see that a thirteen year old is is really absorbing all of that and 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 getting it. You know, is that the book? Is that what you're leafing through there? Yes. And the last thing I just thought I'd share one last thing, which I was very delighted to see on my least favorite list. I mean, there are some extremely random things on here, like Rottweilers. Can I? <laughs> um, can I? Can I have a guess? Yeah, of course. New kids on the block. Ooh. No, they're not on there. But take that and E seventeen are on there on my least favourite list. Right. I've got some information for you. What's that? Which I think is accurate. Uh, as I recall, I don't think that Take That, which for listeners in the US were the, and still are, they're still going, believe it or not, and probably more successful than ever, but Take That were the equivalent of New Kids on the Block in the UK. Kind of uh, five young sexy dancer singers. Gentlemen sexy dancer singers. Told you it might get sexy. <laughs> um, and uh, and I don't think that they were around until gone 93. They were formed in 1990. Next thing. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. I just checked it. Anyway, um, the thing that I wanted to share, which I think is very interesting, is that on my least favourite list um, were makeup, girls' toys, sexist films and other sexist things, and skirts. And um, and that's very interesting to me. It is, and we we should... This, is, this does kind of lead us nicely onto our conversation, sort of, about True Detectives, so maybe, maybe we should go there next. <laughs> oh, we're, all, we're, we're great for random, random segues. It's got that way, hasn't it, this show? Yeah, it really has, yeah. But before we do, though, before we do, I just wondered whether you had any insight um, into 
how you know as a, as a writer if you want to write for children I mean what, what you described we, we kind of skirted over what I think is actually quite a difficult problem if you want to write for children how do you know what age group you're writing for and are there any kind of key tropes of, uh, of, of you know the various age groups and what they read and what they're interested in Absolutely. I mean, you just you you need to. It's so obvious. You need to be reading what is available for the kids of those age groups right now. Like what? Because pub, everything, everybody has to go through the the gatekeeper of the publishing company, you know, and they are the ones that are basically deciding what's what's good and what's not. I remember my mum's first picture book that she ever pub, um, wrote. People were inter- publishing companies were interested in it, but they they said, you know what? That's not really the direction that we want to go. We we have a direction that we want to go with children's publishing, and that's not it. Um, and and that was very interesting. Her second book was taken on, but it, you know they are deciding. They're they're looking at things coming in like Twilight, and they're going, oh yes, and now Vampires next year is going to be blah, 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 and all this kind of stuff, you know. So you need to it see is, what they're publishing. It is strange that sort of publishing phenomenon where you have something that sells well, and it's almost always something that. Um, hasn't been selling well recently. So, um, you know, the whole vampire thing, I know that vampires c- consistently sell pretty well over the, you know, old Drac and the rest. Um, they've always done well in that kind of, that, you know, that kind of genre thing, but not to the point of, you know, Twilight sales. Um, but isn't it, isn't it an interesting thing that we see something that's popular and then we write more of it? Because that's not much... It's, that's not my natural inclination. My, as soon as, like something like that blows up, I don't think right. You know, I don't sort of go to my nearest joke shop, put on a, buy myself some teeth, and uh, sit at my desk and hope for inspiration. Think right, I need to write, do some vampire things. Let's do vampire things for research. And, and now this is I'm a vampire writer now. I, I'm the I would go the opposite way. I think well, okay, vampires are out. But, no more vampires. Uh, but that's what you need. You need people that are doing new things. But if you, uh, going back to my mum, hello again, mum, you know, when you have like a, a long last or a, a very solid relationship with a publishing company, I mean, they are commissioning books. They are telling you, this is what we want. And, you know, that very, I, I, I haven't seen that ever be something absolutely brand new. That is, always seems to be based on something that they think is popular or going to be popular. Maybe, but no. I mean, maybe, but I think fifty, maybe Fifty Shades is a better example because that rose up out of fan fiction. That was someone who was writing that's about a children's book. No, it's not. I'm talking more generally now. So I, <laughs> yeah, well, I, I don't think with adult, adult, I, I don't imagine that there's the same kind of things happening with, um, in in general adult fiction. I mean, obviously, you know, if something like Fifty Shades of Grey is popular, everyone's going to be rushing to get their pornos out, but. It, for children's books, I think it really plays a big factor. It yeah, it does. I just I guess as a writer, I just I, I struggle to to understand why if something becomes popular, then I would kind of think, well, okay, that's where because that's not where things are going. By the time your book gets out, the ship has sailed. If something is popular, the ship that that ship has gone. If you're lucky enough, you might have like a spare vampire manuscripts lying around that you can quickly rush off to an agent or something but if you haven't then by the time you've finished writing your vampires then mm. you might have shot it unless you are the sort of I guess unless you and this is not this is a serious comment I guess unless you are into writing for a more business um, 
more business-related reasons, and you can quickly knock out a vampire story and get it up on Amazon for a couple of quid and hope that you get some of the... get some of, uh, I don't know, some Twilight dregs. Absolutely. But I think we kid ourselves that, you know, the things that we choose and the things that we see are have just happened. You know, nothing just happens like that. And, you know, there are people in every industry that are paid to predict trends and what's going to happen, you know, in clothes or any, any kind of product. And, um, and things are being shaped around us and we're just following along like sheep. Mm. Anyhow, we were actually going to randomly talk about True Detective. We were, um, but in a, in a sort of book-related way, eventually. Um, I don't know how we do this without doing spoilers. Um, maybe we just uh, do our best. Well, we could probably assume that. that a lot of listeners have already seen True Detective, seeing it's been out for a year. You've just finished... Just finished watching True Detective, so this is uh, Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey, um, uh, who were also executive producers on the on the show, and it's eight eight episodes, um, an hour long, and that is the complete thing. So it's like an anth- I think they're calling it the anthology approach, where see season one of True Detective was that story, and then the next one, New Detectives, new story, on we go. Colon this Farrell, one. New Detective, in the next one. Yeah, yeah, Colon Farrell. One of one of the greatest actors um, ever. Slash sarcasm. <laughs> yeah, he's grown on me a lot. He was awful to start with, but in what way has he grown on you? Um, I think he's he's trying to make better film choices, and he is quite ridiculous as a real life human being. So, um... what would you say to his performance in in Bruges? Yeah, yeah, it was good. Very you thought that was good? Film. I thought it was an enjoyable film. Couldn't finish it. Really? I found I found his acting unbearable. <laughs> That's very funny. Well, then I wouldn't bother watching any other Colin Farrell films. Is that one of the... Is that, that kind of a highlight? I'd say that's my, my favourite one of his so far. No. I haven't watched Seven Psychopaths yet. It's been on my list for a long time. Anyway, random, random... Yeah, True he's detective. in the next. He's in the next. He's net coming in the season two. But season one, you felt that there was, aside of it being fantastic and wonderful and very enjoyable, you felt there might have been some dodgy representations of women in it. I believe. I did think that. I felt that strongly. Like you say, in general, I think True Detective is great. I recommend you watch it, um, and uh, and it's quite. It has um, it has a real sense of place. So if you're if you're in your writing. I think sometimes where it's set can be really, really, really important. Not always. Sometimes it doesn't matter so much. But in other works of fiction and, you know, books, films, TV, whatever, um, a real sense of place, you know, the place almost becomes a character. And I think that was definitely true for True Detective. Yes, absolutely. It was incredibly atmospheric. Um, and because it's, you know, in some parts, it's, it's about a murder and a fairly gruesome murder, a kind of a satanic type of cultish type of flavour to the whole thing, which, frankly, Donna, gave me the right willies. Yes. English expression um, for heebie-jeebies, which is another English expression for the ghoulies, which is indeed. another English expression for scared you. Yes. So I had the willies and I was quite focused on my willies for most of the time and it was only after about the third or fourth episode where I thought, Do you know what? There aren't many female characters in this, are there? 
Um, and then I thought about it a bit more and thought, well, there are a few. Uh, there are a few, so maybe it's not that bad. And then I thought, actually, almost all of the female characters... In fact, no, all of the female characters come under some simple categories. Uh, and those categories are... Um, they've been assaulted, they've been murdered, they are prostitutes. Um, they uh, they definitely use some kind of uh, drug, uh, some sort of drug abuse going on, and um, some of them are into cults. Hence, uh, actually, that wasn't the case with it, was it? No, I take that one back. That wasn't a problem. That was the fellas. Don't say, don't say too much. Don't no, spoilers. It's <laughs> that dark road um, that you're going to go here for spoilers. But yes. But then, but then you think, well, there is, there is, of course. Um, um, the lead character's uh, uh, wife, uh, who was, you know, in some ways, I think, supposed to be almost the normal, <laughs> strong woman. But, um, you know, she was very much defined by the behaviour of Woody Harrelson um, throughout. So I, I and I, I did sort of look this up a little bit and, and kind of thought, of, of, am I the only one who thinks this? And there are a few articles. There's a great article in, I think it was the New Yorker, I'll find it, put it in the show notes, uh, which you can find at 5x5.tv slash WFYL slash 145. Get all of the links for all of the things we talk about. Um, And uh, uh, so it's not just me. Other people have noticed this too. And despite that, it seems to have got away with it. And it's accepted people are saying you know they said it was one of the greatest certainly one of the best tv shows of last year but you know it's up there in the list of kind of box sets that we should all watch i think the first season of true detective is supposedly up there is that accurate Mm. yeah absolutely and yet and yet it has all these sort of problems with um gender and women and how they're represented yeah that said I don't know if I'm the best person to qualify to say something like this. Sometimes I did men- Of course you are, as a human being. Well, that's good to know. I'm glad I've got your approval. But I think it's because I, ex- I feel like I can't express it beyond saying what I've just said, yeah. which is obviously clumsy because that's how I talk. But I, d- I don't know how to express it because every time I try and think about it and get into any kind of detail, I sort of remind myself that I'm not a woman. Yeah. Um, well, I... I loved it, absolutely loved it. And um, what I wanted to compare it to, and I know that there have actually been comparisons um, to this other places, is um, Scandinavian crime, Nordic noir, the genre is called. And I'm sure, you know, especially in the UK, it's become a really, really big thing. Um, I don't know whether you could say it started with the the girl with the dragon tattoo, Stieg Larsson's book from Sweden, but there are some TV series which have just gone all over the world, such as The Killing, Borgen, The Bridge, um, and they are massively popular. And it's really funny that they travel across boundaries because they're in Danish and there have been American remakes. But um, some things I've read about... uh, trying to explain the popularity of them is that they tend to have very strong female uh, leads and female detectives in these programs. And um, somebody recommended to me that I watch The Fall. Have you ever watched The Fall? Um, I haven't, but I know that it's got really good reviews. Yeah. So that's another uh, crime detective series, but set in Northern Ireland and starring Gillian Anderson. Again, another very strong female lead leading up the cast. And... That doesn't make the blindest bit of difference to me. I watched the first episode of The Fall and I was like, oh my God, do you know what? I think maybe I've just had it with seeing women being assaulted and killed because it seems to be 
an absolute obsession at the moment that and it's it's because it's crime and the majority of crimes are presumably of this nature are um taken out on women and i just i i've reached my saturation point i can't take it anymore so i i haven't ever watched the killing it's ridiculous because i've written about it but um and i don't think i can i don't think it matters who who the lead is whether it's Woody Harrelson or Matthew McConaughey or Gillian Anderson or whoever. It's just, it's always going to be the way if it's about, you know, people being murdered because that's, that's it's just like a, an obsession. But isn't it also the way that, <laughs> isn't it also the way that women are murdered in the sense that isn't the, isn't there, it's, it's the titillation of it. Don't you think there is a sort of an element of titillation that you don't get if a, if a, if a man gets killed in a film, he's either extremely weak-willed and uh, and kind of like a complete non-character, yeah, and and you're like, yeah, good, kill him anyway, yeah, or he deserved it because he was a baddie, or exactly, or, or he goes really all- really upset that he was killed because it's very unusual. <laughs> Yeah, it's all good, bla- all guns blazing. He kind of goes down in a blaze of glory with a, you know, a spear to the throat or something like that. Yeah. If a woman gets killed, generally speaking, they are uh, in a state of uh, uh, kind of clothing-wise disrepair. Mm-hmm. They're nearly naked, is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And and there is there is an element of titillation and and, and sex and and all of these things and another thing that there is which is when you're talking about especially if you're going to if you're trying to write this genre this must be really difficult as well that they as a victim they are entirely um without personality or without anything like they are just it's they are things that things happen to and they are completely passive and i you know i just i really felt this way like you they're just like being knocked off left, right, and centre. You know, <laughs> do you know what I mean? That was that was what I how I felt about True Detective. I thought there were, there was a there's a couple of scenes in it which are there's, I think there are two sort of maybe slightly more, but two kind of sex scenes in the entire season which are gratuitous. It like completely like threw me. I was like, hang on a minute, this is like a really gratuitous sex scene, and this I did not see this coming, mm. and um, and and. Th- there was no need for it. It was utterly, utterly pointless, um, and uh, and you kind of and you're left with it. You're kind of well, that's that's happened. That's there. I can't unsee that. But let's crack on with this kind of satanic murder-based story. Now we've seen those, <laughs> yeah. and um, and so there was that element to it. But like you said, it just became this relentless barrage of of assaulted women, murdered women, women who were prostitutes, and married women who you know couldn't hold their family together and that's not me saying that i think they should and maybe even me saying that is part of this idea that i feel like i have to kind of be careful and apologize but that's that's the picture that you know was being shown you know that ah, it's just really frustrating so to pull this back to writing slightly or, or all of this is about writing really but one of the challenges i feel i have with the novel i'm writing now is um is that my sort of main female character something terrible has happened to them really terrible and they are absolutely completely racked with guilt and and it's they they are in in many ways they're kind of broken and it's a female character um but if you knew what had happened to them 
um, then you would you would get it. That's the story. You would know why they were broken, why they behaved the way they did, how they treated others, and all this kind of thing. There's no, don't worry. There's no murder or sex or assault or anything like that. Well, no one's going to buy this book now. You've said that. <laughs> I know, um, but I'm still really conscious as a male author of writing fully formed um, w- women who are real and who um, uh, both men and women can kind of read and then go, that's a real person. That's a person in real life. Yeah. And I find it, I'm more, I'm the, more, the more kind of films, TV, even books that I sort of see where it's the opposite, where it just seems to be like this conveyor belt of um, nakedness and, and kind of just unpleasantness, the more responsibility I feel as a writer to get that right. Mm. Yeah, I, I, it is it is tough. I've just finished reading um, Jonathan Franzen's The Corrections. I don't know if you've ever read that book or anything by Jonathan Franzen. I, I own uh, I own that book, but I, I have not read it. <laughs> um, so three three well, there's, there are four main characters, I guess: um, a mother and her three children. Oh, I guess there's five actually: the mother and father, and their three grown up children. And um, one of them is a is a, a woman, the children, and the two others are men. And it was amazing how much I related to um, Gary, who was like a middle aged man with three kids. Like his his character was the reason that pu- it pulled me into the book, and I, I I just related so much to him. And he was so funny, and his life was I could just see elements of myself and and all that through him. And I thought, just need to remember that. Like, I think we get a little bit hung up on on all of this, this kind of, you know, all men and women stuff. But for me, it's more just like I am, I don't think we need to read or see women being killed all the time. It's not that hard, I don't think, to, if you are, if you're good at creating characters, to create any kind of character. I mean, that's what fiction is, you know, you're creating some kind of, you know, a 90-year-old heroin addict hobo on the street who's a man, you know, if, if that that's something you could do if you're an excellent writer, regardless of who you are, isn't it, you know? It's true. I was just thinking about something we uh, was mentioned in our discussion before we started recording, which was, of course, the upcoming season five of Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. Which you said you were rather looking forward to. <laughs> um, yeah. Indeed. But do you think the reason that Game of Thrones... I mean, lots of people have written about the violence and the sort of portrayal of women in uh, Game of Thrones, and this goes for the book as well as the, um, as well as the TV series. Um, do, you, do you feel like the, they get away with it there more because there is quite a lot of <laughs> violence towards men? Like, the whole thing is just violent. Is like, it? no one... In the, as soon as... Like, the whole, the whole sort of... Raison d'etre, which is exactly how you pronounce that, um, in uh, of uh, Game of Thrones, is that no one is safe. Yeah, you know, and um, well, it's medieval. Think- it's med. That's how it's described. Medieval fantasy, and you know, you just that's the way I look at it. In medieval times, everybody was killing everybody. Women were horrifically abused, and Game of Thrones is a good way to say, oh, thank goodness, it's not like that in- anymore. Even though it's fiction, and also I'd say Game of Thrones has some fantastic fantastically strong female characters and not just ones that are going around you know like stabbing other people and like punching them in the face I mean it doesn't have to be that kind of strength you know some really really complex characters that you just you want to see what they're going to do next 
It's true. It's true. It's a, a Game of Thrones is always. Uh, I, I, I like to watch it, but I always feel slightly uncomfortable with myself afterwards. <laughs> Not like that. Oh, and I always sit there gagging for more afterwards. Shall we finish yeah. off with a little um, piece that we saw online about 24 things no one tells you about book publishing? I didn't feel that we needed to go through well, all of them. We could just recommend that I, people have a little look at it. I thought they were I thought they were great. I wonder if we should leave that till next week and do the... Uh, we've, we're, a listener's question has come in live while we've been on the air. Oh, my goodness. That's really good news. Well, uh, OK, hold on. Listener's question... Um, and then maybe we can do the, we can do that uh, the other thing next week. Absolutely, Does that sound alright. Other thing it feels next like, week. Feels like there's some meat to it. Oh. Um, okay, so this question is from and uh, is from a chap called Jesse, and uh, I've followed Jesse on Twitter and vice versa versus for years. And do you know I've looked at his uh, name a number of times, and I've never once bothered to try and work out how to say it until right now oh. at the point. At this Jesse point, where I need to say it. to torture us. Is that what you're going to say because of his last quite, name? Quite possibly. Um, it's uh, Jesse. Uh, uh, his Twitter handle is at Jesse K O E P K E. So that could be Kepka, or mm. uh, that's what I'm going for. Or Kepke, Keepke. What would you say? Sorry, Jesse. Hmm. I'd definitely say that. I'd say sorry, Jesse, for this entire mess. Let's call him Jesse. Let's call him Jesse. Um, I hope well, I presume that's his. Yeah, it's definitely his name. All right, let's when call him s- Jesse. <laughs> let's not. Let's be polite to the people who are very kind enough to. Uh, yeah, does Jesse Kepko Kepke Jesse Kep Jesse Kepke? I think. Go for it. When you sit down to start a second draft of a story, in brackets, after maybe taking a break from it, which is often recommended, what's the first thing that you do? Oh, good question. It's a good question. Feel it's a, brilliant a, question. a wave of depression go over you that you have. You're about to like start clawing your way word for word through this thing that you hoped you'd finished but you hadn't really finished. Yes, I, my immediate answer was panic. <laughs> Just along the same lines. Um, yeah, but I mean, do you start at the start? I guess that's the most natural place to start. But maybe you've you've, you've got a place that you knew was a little bit weaker that you want to head to first to look at. I'll tell you where I start. It's just it's just come to me. I've got a I've got an answer to this. I start with the the low hanging fruit. Mm. I I go for the easy stuff first. Like if I've done a typo, <laughs> I'll sort of well I better make sure that that typo is fixed before I do anything else. Um, and so in that way, I guess I guess I'm easing myself in. That's the purpose of starting out with the easy stuff. So maybe go through and do do some typos, maybe do some stuff where it's just a case of changing um, like a, a couple of sentences. Maybe you know that the rhythm of a specific paragraph isn't quite right, so change that. And therefore, I think also the reason to do that is that once all those things are done, because even those small changes, even small changes like just sort of switching a few things around in a paragraph, they can have an impact on other stuff. Mm. So if if on your list of things to do is like uh, add three chapters to your final section, then it's probably best to do all the little stuff first because that will inform, you know, the bigger stuff later on. So I would always kind of ease myself in with stuff that I know needs doing is relatively easy to get done and and then kind of build from there and work my way up to the more difficult stuff later. And the difficult stuff is complete rewrites of of certain sections or chapters or adding, I guess, adding chapters in as well. 
yeah, I've had to, I've had to add entire chapters before. I've had to kind of move things around. So that was another one. So actually, that's a, that's kind of maybe would be third on my list. So get rid of easy stuff, typos, etc. Then do medium-sized things like maybe add chapters or add, or maybe remove things, re- remove chapters, that kind of thing. And then last of all, once that's done, then move stuff around. Like literally move, if, if a chapter needs moving from the ends to the middle, maybe do that towards the end once you've got a better idea of everything else. But then having said that, once you've moved, if you do that move earlier, maybe that will inform the extra writing you need to do. It's very difficult, this writing a book business. I guess the most important thing to say is is that you need to do what is doable for you because it, this is the least enjoyable part of the entire process, presumably for most people. So you have to make it manageable. You have to, you have to give yourself some kind of some motivation to know that you're going to achieve something and that you can do it. Because, I, I mean, I've, I've had things that I've just like looked at and I thought... Oh god, I can't do it. Just going to start a new book. So then I just start a new book. <laughs> How does it work with your poetry? Do you? Because that is, I imagine, whenever I've done uh, poetry, I've always, always written something relatively quickly, just because you know these are things that tend to be short. And then when I come back to it, I just think this is terrible. In a way that I don't get, I don't get it in the same way with fiction. Mm. I do sometimes think that oh, this isn't very good or that needs to go. But almost always with poetry, I read it and go, "This is actually awful." What was I thinking? <laughs> um, yeah, I've got a poem at the moment that I, the last the last two lines, I I feel like I need to extend this poem and I need to change those last two lines. But it's just, it's, I've just found that it's not come to me and I've left it and left it. And now I'm worried that I'm actually going to have to like rethink the middle part of the poem as well. So, yeah. Another first thing I do, seems, is, is avoid it actually. That's what I do when I have to go and, and edit something. I just avoid the whole thing. So, would you rather have a blank page and a good idea, or would you rather have a finished poem? What's as in ready, ready to start the second draft? That's a very good question. I think if if I feel like the poem is is basically there, I'd much rather have the poem to work on and go back to because I'm like this poem. I'm I'm really glad that I got it because you know a lot of these poems come where you like you're in the middle of the night and you have this idea and you have to get something down because it's it's like so it's so ephemeral it could disappear and it has happened before that I've had ideas that I I kick myself that I haven't just gone and put something down on paper because it's gone you know um so I think yeah much better to have something to to edit that's definitely my preference and it's what I'm better at it's what I'm better at with I I think anyway with my with my copywriting I'd much rather edit I spend most of my time editing than I than uh you know, writing things from scratch. But maybe that's and just the habit, because that's what you do every day. Oh, no, I mean, you're, always write, you're also writing things from scratch, yeah. Not as often. No, I've primarily, these days, primarily editing other people's stuff, making it better. Oh. Um, but, I, yeah, I would much rather have that sort of finished. I find that way harder doing, you know, the writing. The editing comes much more naturally to me, so... Mm. Um, yeah, it is daunting, but yep, start with the low-hanging fruit, get the easy stuff done first, uh, maybe make a plan, plan what order you're going to do things, um, don't feel like you have to start at the start, you can go in, get any bit done that needs doing, doesn't really matter how and when you do it, and um, and uh, try and enjoy it. And also, I guess, it might not always be your choice, maybe you've had somebody else read it and suggest what needs to be changed. 
Of course. So that was, well, yeah, and I'm, I'm assuming that's what's happening here. I'm assuming that when you say you sit down to start a second draft, I'm assuming that you've actually read it and maybe made a few notes and have some idea of, of, of what needs doing. So maybe the, maybe maybe we've mis, misinterpreted the question. Sorry, Jesse, if that's the case. Hmm. I think we think we've covered it. Um, just before we go, I was going to say that I'm quite excited. Tomorrow I'm going to a real studio to record as a semi-professional voiceover artist. What on, what on earth are you recording? <laughs> it's, um, I'm doing a uh, duet with Beyonce. <laughs> like uh, Kanye? Yeah, exactly. I'm doing a, um, a voiceover for a, um, a case video for a marketing company based on a social media campaign we did last summer. Isn't that exciting? And so what, uh, what uh, voice are you going to use? Well, I have to tone it down a little bit. I can't use my... Um, That's great news for Denmark, which I did try a little bit of last time. So I'm going to keep it quite... Um, going to try uh, to switch the excitement down. What, what's great news for Denmark? Uh, our social media campaign was. <laughs> was it? Everyone's happy. Everyone's happy. Yeah. I, I would say, that's great news for Denmark. Ooh. That sounds quite ominous. That's great. That's great news for Denmark. That's great news for Denmark, a country that four out of five visitors would recommend as a travel destination. See, that's I don't know why those sorts of stats are included, because I automatically go, what sort of holiday did that number five person have? <laughs> they, like, they drowned or they got lost and they're still there. Their family have disappeared. <laughs> That's it's that's so who I true. care about. That is out. Yeah, it's great. Yep. Like nine out of ten cats prefer this particular kind of cat food. Well, where's where's the other cat? Because as far as I know, <laughs> cats aren't that fussy. So if one cat didn't like it, you've got a problem. Well, I just tried to tell myself that that fifth person came here when the weather was like it has been the last week. Two degree rain drizzle, sleet in your face, dark all the time. There, I've just really that's... sold Denmark to everybody there. That sounds like a paragraph from Ulysses. Oh, well, thank you. There, there's a compliment. That's not often you give me compliments like that. You're very welcome. <laughs> you <laughs> deserved it. Oh, <laughs> should we tell people where they can find us before we end this? Yes. Um, yes, let's do that. I, you can find me on the internet at, uh, well, on Twitter specifically, at Ian Broom, at I. A-I-N-B-R-O-O-M-E and my website ianbroom.com and um, we're going to check in also next week as we haven't done it this week on our New Year's resolutions um, I'm hoping in the next seven days to have uh, shared a little more than I have done so far which is what I promised I would do but you know stuff's been happening man absolutely has that's great you can find me on Twitter at the Flying Poet and it would be lovely if you did find me there um, the Flying Poet yes and also I have a little Facebook page but Really, don't bother going there because I haven't updated it for ages. <laughs> but I might do this week. That's Donna Sorensen Poetry. That was uh, that was author marketing in action. <laughs> Classic British author. So you can you can buy my book, but um, I wouldn't bother. No one else has, so don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't possibly want to trouble you with it. <laughs> um, yes, we'd love to see you online, and hopefully, we'll also um, have the pleasure of your ears next week. That would be delightful. See ya, bye. Bye Bye-bye.